All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and its thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. I want to pause right there. The writer of Ephesians is, is reminding us that there was a time before we put our faith in Christ and became alive to God in our spirits, there was a time when we lived very differently. And the reality of that time was that we were slaves to sin. We were slaves to following our own sinful desires, our own sinful nature. We were slaves to following the things that the world offered us as things that would fulfill us. And he begins to describe us before we encounter the transformational power of God in our lives. He not only says that, but he says we were under the influence of the spirit of the age. And we know that, um, that the enemy, Satan, is alive and well. And there is an actual spiritual reality behind some of the things that we see in our world because the enemy wants us to begin to believe a false identity about ourselves and about God and about the world in which we live. And so what he says is, listen, we were all there at some point. This is not about making judgments. This is about realizing, yeah, God, thank you that, that because of what you've done in my life, I'm no longer a slave to sin. I no longer pattern my life around the spirit of the age and around what the world tells me is the pattern that I need to follow for my life, but there has been a change in my life. He actually says that at one point, you and I were objects of God's wrath. That at one point, because of our sinful nature, you see, there's this problem of lineage. And when we are born, we're born into, into a sinful nature because when we look back at Adam and Eve, Adam sinned and, and Eve sinned, and at that point, sin entered the world. And so Romans says that we are all dead to God and we are slaves to sin because of our lineage. Because by, by Adam, by one man, sin entered the world. And so every one of us at one point were objects of God's wrath. Now, what does that mean? It means that at, at one point, we were, we were going to be judged for our sinfulness at, at some point when we stood before God. And so we were objects of God's just wrath against sin. And so that's the reality of where we were at one point. And he goes on and he says there's some good news here. Let's keep reading. He says, but, so this is, this is the big but, right? But, because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, God is rich in mercy. He made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions, dead in that sinful nature. It is by grace you have been saved. And so we begin to understand a few things about ourselves, that our identity before Christ was, uh, was subject to sin, slaves to sin, and then we begin to learn a little bit about the identity of who God our Father is. And he begins to uncover who God is. God is merciful. God, because of his love for you, he took the first step towards you. Because of his love for mankind, he, made, he, he took initiative and he sent his son to deal with this issue of sin. And so we begin to understand the identity of who God is. Merciful. Loving. Because he loved us so much, he took action on our behalf. So he says, it is by grace you have been saved. And then verse 6, he goes on. And he says, God raised us up with Christ and seated us 
with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So here's what happens when you put your faith in God. You go from one place to the next in spiritual reality and your identity. At one point, you were excluded from the presence of God. You're an object of God's wrath, his just wrath because of our sinful nature. But because of God's love for us, he sent Jesus. And when we put our faith in Jesus, we are now brought to a different place in terms of our identity because now we are seated with Christ. We are, we are living out of the reality reality of his work in our lives. Something has changed in your life when you give, when you put your faith in Jesus. There is a change. You are no longer an object of God's just wrath against sin, but you have been moved to a place where you are now sons and daughters. You are now in a place where that wrath has been satisfied in Jesus. And so he says, God has raised us up. God has raised us up. It's not something that you have done on your own. God has raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Why? In order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. Here we are again, beginning to understand the identity of God. There's the riches of his grace expressed in his kindness. There's the kindness of God that we're reminded of today. And it's a kindness directed toward us in Christ Jesus. And then he says it again in verse 8. It is by grace you have been saved. And this is through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. God is a giving God. He's given us this gift of salvation through Jesus. It's not by works so that no one can boast. And then we find this last conclusion here, this kind of statement that wraps it up. For we are God's workmanship. There's identity. You are God's workmanship. And then there's destiny. You are created in Christ Jesus to do good works. God has a plan for you to live out. God has a purpose for your life, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. You see, the challenge uh, that we face is that in different ways we we begin to believe things that are not right about ourselves now that we are in Christ and about God and about the world in which we live. And so the challenge for us today is to say, God, would you begin to help me by the wisdom and the revelation of your Holy Spirit, begin to help me to understand your identity. God, help me to understand who you are. You know, we can talk a lot about what our identity is in Christ and what God has done for us, but that's not where we need to end. We need to understand who God is. We need to understand a true picture of who God is. We need to have a revelation of who God is so that we fully understand who he is and and we never will, will complete that process until we stand before him. But I believe this morning that there are areas where we have a false identity of who God is. We have a false understanding of who God is. And we may have a false understanding of who we are and then of the world around us and and, uh, and what the world can offer us. And so the writer of Ephesians begins to bring us to some of these thoughts. He begins to help us to understand our identity and God's identity. And we're reminded again that, oh, we need Jesus. We need a Savior. We need to come out from underneath that wrath of God because of our sinful lineage. And, and now that we're in Christ, we've stepped into a new lineage. We are now uh, no longer objects of wrath, but we now begin to experience the grace and mercy of God in a greater dimension. Why? Because he loves you and he has a purpose for you. You have an identity that's rooted in him and you have a purpose that he lays out for your, for your life.
Let's move over to Luke chapter 4 and verses 1 to 19. Luke chapter 4, verses 1 to 19. And we find in this passage of Scripture, we'll, we'll continue to explore this a little bit in terms of our temptation to believe a false identity about ourselves and about God and about this world. And this is the temptation of Jesus. It's a familiar passage to you. But let's explore this with some of these thoughts in mind this morning. Luke chapter 4. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan. He's just been baptized by the Father, or he's been baptized by uh, John the Baptist, and the Father has spoken over his life. Remember what, what the Father spoke over Jesus? He said, this is my son, whom I love, in him I am well pleased. He spoke blessing over Jesus. He spoke identity over Jesus. My son, I love him, I'm pleased with him. And then the, the Holy Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness. So he led him into the, uh, the Spirit leads Jesus into the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. And the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. What was the first thing that the enemy tempted Jesus to not believe? It was about his identity, right? You see, there is a spiritual battle for your identity. There's a spiritual battle for you and I to, to clearly understand who we are. And so the enemy comes and he says to Jesus, oh, you know, remember when the father spoke over you just, just a short while ago? Are you sure? Are you sure that God was speaking truth there? And the enemy always tries to get us to, to doubt who God is and what he has said. And then in turn, we begin to doubt ourselves. And so he comes, and the first thing he does is he attacks identity. If you are the Son of God. And so he's tempting Jesus to doubt what God has said. The same is in your life and in mine where the enemy will come and he will try to tempt us to begin to doubt what God has said and who God is. Is God really a loving heavenly father? Are you really loved by God? Is that your identity? Well, then why are you in this wilderness? Why are you suffering this way? Maybe you're, you're really not loved by God. Maybe God is not a loving father and you're not really loved by him. And he begins to tempt us to doubt God. That will be one of the schemes that the enemy brings over and over into your life. Did, did, you know, is what God's saying really true? And so the first thing the enemy does is begins to get Jesus to, to, um, to dis disbelieve or to doubt his father and then to doubt his own identity. We'll go on. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone. This, one of the things that the enemy tried to tempt Jesus to believe was that he gave a false identity to, to the things around Jesus. He said this, Jesus, I know you're hungry, and so if you turn that stone into bread, you're going to be fulfilled. And so he assigned something to that stone that was a false identity. That stone could not satisfy Jesus. Even if he turned it into bread, Jesus would not be fully satisfied. And one of the tactics of the enemy is to take the things of this world and begin to assign them an identity and say to you and I, that will fulfill you. If you do that, or if you follow that, that pattern of this world, or if you acquire that, that item, whatever it might be, then you are going to be fulfilled. And what the enemy will try to do is he will try to get you to believe a false identity about the things of this world. 
and he will assign them value that they cannot follow through on. And what did Jesus say? He said, this is what I know, that I will not be fulfilled by material things. I live by more than bread alone. And so Jesus was un- understood his identity. He understood the identity of his father. And he understood that the things of this world would not satisfy him. And this church is, is the tactic of the enemy. And I believe it's increasing in the day and age in which we live. And so Jesus said, no. <laughs> There's a satisfaction that does not come from material things. I don't just live on bread alone. I live in the, with the presence of God, and that will be my fulfillment. The devil tries to tempt him again in verse 5. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all of the kingdoms of this world. And he said to Jesus, I will give you all their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you will worship me, it will all be yours. Again, what is the enemy trying to do? He says to Jesus, let's just go take a look. Let's survey this world for a moment. Let's look at the splendor of the kingdoms of this world. Come with me, Jesus. I just want to remind you of how amazing this world is. And he takes him up to a high place and he says to Jesus, he said, you know, this can all be yours. It can all be yours if you worship me. It can all be yours, but what you need to do is you need to walk away from God and fully embrace the things that this world offers you. And again, he's assigning a false identity to the things of this world. The things of this world will not satisfy us. The things of this world will not bring you life. Yes, we can enjoy some of the things around us, absolutely. But if we begin to think that I'm going to find fulfillment there or I'm going to begin to put my hope in something of this world and God isn't enough, So I need to begin to just supplement God with something else. It's a false identity. Satan knew that that wouldn't satisfy Jesus. Satan knew that if Jesus bit on that temptation, that the world could not offer him what Satan was promising through the world. It's a false identity. And increasingly, we are being tempted to make those kinds of decisions. And the enemy would want you today to think that if I can, if I can acquire that or if I, if I can you know, get that worldly, uh, whatever it might be, that I will be satisfied. It's a false identity. And so what does Jesus do? He resists that temptation. And he says, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus understood his identity. He understood the identity of his father. And he understood that there were things that this world could not satisfy him in. And where he needed to find his satisfaction was in his father. And so he didn't fall for the false identity. He didn't. And that's the temptation for you and I today to begin to grasp at other things, to put our hope in other things, to fulfill us and to bring us life and and to uh, help us to experience goodness. Let's move on and see how Jesus continues to be tempted by the devil. Verse number nine, the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, it says, the word says, do not put 
the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all of this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. It's interesting that the devil in this moment of temptation for Jesus, he led him to the temple and he had him stand on top of the temple. Now, what does the temple represent? The temple represents a religious system. And what the devil was trying to tempt Jesus to do was to, was to feel that a religious system could bring him life and could, could fulfill him. And again, that's a false identity. He was offering something through a religious system that would not satisfy Jesus. It will not satisfy you and I today because a religious system is this. It's built on rules. And so a religious system, you kind of get this mapped out. It's kind of like, like an equation. If I do X and Y, then Z will happen. And we are tempted to put God in that religious box where God, if I go to church every Sunday and if I follow the rules, then this is what's going to happen. This is what I expect from you. It's like a genie in the bottle. And so the enemy was trying to tempt Jesus to begin to put his faith in a religious system, in, in laws and in rules and in regulations, and that will never satisfy you. You will leave as dry as you came if you're putting your faith in a religious system. There is no life in that. There is no life in just saying, I'm just going to follow these rules, and then God, I expect you to follow through on the other end of the equation. It's not a math equation. And so what Jesus recognized is, no, it's a relationship. I'm not going to tempt God. Even in the moments where I don't understand, there's, there's trials that I'm walking through, I'm going to trust God. And so relationship means that we trust and so in you and I, sometimes we are tempted to put God in that equation. And there's no life in that, but the life comes from relationship. And even when we are walking through difficult moments in our lives, if we understand my faith is not in a religious system, my faith is in a relationship with the living God, even if I don't understand the trial that I'm going through, I know that I can trust God because I know the identity of my Father. And he is a good, good father. And so I'm going to trust him. I'm going to trust him. And so the devil was saying, well, listen, this is what God said. If you, if you do this, then he'll do that. And he was tempting him to buy into this religious, rule-based system that leaves us dry. And Jesus said, no. <laughs> it's about a relationship. And I'm not going to tempt God because God's ways are higher than my ways. God sees the beginning from the end. God sees things that I don't see, and I'm going to trust him with my life, even in the difficult times. I can trust God because it's a relational, uh, it's, it's relationship, it's not religion. And so one of the temptations, a false identity that we can slip into is that if I follow the rules, then that's going to fulfill me. No, it will not. You will be disappointed, and religion cannot deliver on that false identity, but relationship can. And so church, we need to understand our identity. We need to understand who God says that we are. We need to understand who God is, and we need to understand where the enemy tries to assign worth to something that will not deliver in our lives. The song we were singing is, there will be no one like you, God. There will be no one like you. God, I will put my hope in you alone. 
And I believe that there are moments where we come to the realization that we, out of a false understanding of who God is, that maybe God can't supply all of my needs, that maybe God isn't a good father, I need to begin to supplement with some other things. And so we begin to look at worldly things to begin to satisfy us. I need a little bit of that type of cultural thinking because I don't fully trust that I will find my fulfillment in God. I need to kind of grasp onto that worldly, uh, that worldly pattern of life because, because I don't really trust that in God I find my true fulfillment. And I believe that this morning, one of the things the Holy Spirit wants to do is he wants to uncover in us places where we have begun to grasp elsewhere to find fulfillment and find hope and find peace. And God is saying to us this morning, there is a false identity that that the enemy will try to get you to believe. Those things will not satisfy you. It is in Christ alone where you will find your satisfaction. And we can be deceived. We can be deceived into thinking, I got to help God out here. I need to supplement some other cultural beliefs because I don't really believe that God is enough for me. Church, we live in a time that it's not popular to say Jesus is the only way to know the Father. But there's either truth or there's not. Truth in itself is exclusive. There's right and there's wrong. Truth doesn't leave two equal options. And so the challenge for you and I today is this morning to come back to a commitment to say, God, there will be no one but you. And I have begun to buy into this false identity that says there are some things in the world that I need to supplement my relationship with God if I'm really going to be fulfilled. And so Jesus understood what he had come to do. I just want to read a little bit for you before we close this morning. In verse 14, let's read down a little bit further. After the devil had finished tempting him, Jesus didn't buy it. He didn't buy the false identity that the enemy was trying to, you know, give value to worldly things that would not fulfill him. He decided not to buy into a religious system, but into a relationship where he trusted God. He was in a desert experience. Jesus had been in the desert for 40 days. He had not eaten. He was hungry. And perhaps the devil was trying to tempt him to think, you know, God, you don't really love me. I'm in the desert here. I need to start to reach out to some other things because you're not going to, you're not the answer. Jesus understood, no, I know my father and I'm not going to stray from that. So he goes on in verse 14, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the spirit and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. Here's the identity of Jesus, the reality of what he can do in our lives. He said this, the spirit of the Lord is on me because God has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners 
and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The reality of God's identity and the identity of Jesus is that those are the things that he came to do in your life and in mine. Scripture says that Jesus came to destroy the works of the enemy. And so if you are looking for freedom in your life, you will not find it anywhere else. You won't find it in worldly things. If you are looking uh, to be able to, to walk in, in, in freedom and not be oppressed, if you're looking for a life, an abundant life, you will not find it anywhere else except in Jesus Christ and what he has done for you. And I believe this morning we may need to come in repentance and say, God, forgive me for thinking that I have to supplement you with other things. And oh, that God, by his spirit, would give us a clear picture of who he is. I think we need to understand the identity of God in a clearer way. And when we've begun to grasp at other things, that we need to come back to God and say, God, there will be no one like you. I know that it's in you that I find life, that these other things that I've kind of been inviting into my heart and and into my life, they are empty. They will not bring me life, but my life will be found in you. I'm going to ask that we'd stand this morning. Pastor Yeshua, would you come? And I I just believe very clearly today that God is speaking to our hearts and that he is revealing to us areas where we have believed a lie about something, about how it will fulfill us. That he is wanting to speak to us about having a true understanding of his identity. That we find our life in him. And that he wants to reveal himself to us. And so this morning, as we take some time to worship, as the Holy Spirit speaks to you, you may, you may need to make a recommitment to God today and to say, I'm not going to begin to adopt other ways of thinking that culturally or, or worldviews that the world offers me because I know it's a false identity. In the end, it will not satisfy. And in the end, it may actually lead me to places where I become in bondage rather than living free because I've begun to put my hope in something else other than God. I've begun to look somewhere else other than to say, God, you're my help, you're my strength. In in you I find my identity and and I need to know your identity, God. I need to know that you're a good God. I need that revelation. This is not just head knowledge. These are places out of which we live as the Holy Spirit begins to reveal God to us in a new way. And so perhaps this morning you need to say, God, I need a revelation of you because I haven't been trusting you to be the one that will fulfill me. I have begun to trust in other things. And I'm confused. I've begun to adopt other ways of thinking and and I'm confused, God. I need you to bring clarity again to my life that I would be exclusively devoted to you because God speaks destiny over your life. God speaks identity over your life. And that's where we'll find our fulfillment. So let's just take a moment to worship. Pastor Yeshua, would you lead us? And I just encourage you, you know, this is probably the most important moment in our gathering. It's, it's the moment where we decide, what am I going to do 
with what Scripture has revealed to me today? What am I going to do with the Holy Spirit and what He's saying to me right now? Am I going to make a choice to follow the prompting that He's putting on my heart or am I going to harden my heart? Am I going to just say, no, let's hear something new next week. <laughs> let's move on from this. Let's worship. Let's respond. Just allow the, allow the Lord to begin to speak to your heart this morning.